0: Deserve presents the Create Wealth Podcast with Sandeep Money. Doc, you're one of the few founders in India who delivered an exit to their venture capital fund, uh, and in the process created wealth for yourself also. At which point in your own journey did you feel that you have enough wealth? Uh, was it when Suburban was established and running a profitable concern, or was it before that? How was the how was how was that experience?
1: difficult question to answer I mean uh, I don't know if anybody will ever say they have enough wealth <laughs> um, I think for me wealth is the ability to have the freedom to do what you want I think um, it's really not going to change uh, you know quality of life significantly because I'm very fortunate to have a good quality of life thanks to you know my family and uh, you know the support that I got so I think for me, this wealth is more a social security for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, create a security nest so that uh, people are able to, in my family, are able to follow their passions and not having to work for money, uh, but do what they really want because they have the support of this corpus now available to them. I don't want wealth to ever be a a deterrent of ambition and aspiration
0: okay what happens is
1: sometimes when you so the next generation now is aware of the capital that is there in the family
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't want this to become that oh now I am I don't need to do anything Mm. in fact this should be a motivator that I've got this capital what can I do to put Mm. it to good use yeah so it should be used positively and not negatively that It should not become that I don't have any ambition or aspiration anymore. Doc, you had this situation
0: where after you started uh, Suburban, that you had an opportunity to raise capital from one of the storied investors, which is Sequoia, at that point of time. How did that happen? And also like this whole sense of which is the right point to raise capital, external capital, why raise it?
1: It was a wonderful question. And uh, I have a really nice story on this. When I was growing up in this building, I used to live at Seven Bungalows. My, one of my childhood friends in the building uh, is an investment banker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, big shot. Mm-hmm. But that time, we used to travel by 251 double-decker bus from Seven Bungalows to Andheri Station. And that's how we, used, we would have this conversation. And over a period of time, he told me one thing. That as suburban continued to grow, and he's still a very close friend. He said, Sanjay, remember one rule. Dilute as little as late, Hmm. and remember, private equity is the most expensive form of capital. Sure. Every time I wanted to raise capital, I would go to Manish, Hmm. and I would tell him, Manish, this is my situation. And Manish, by that time, was a wealthy investment banker. Well, he had a good amount of. He said, I can buy your company today, fifty percent at this value, but this is not what the right time is. So Manish was the one who. Continue to push me. Say you have to, you continue to grow, continue to remain profitable. Do what you are doing, and you keep coming back to me, and I will tell you when is the right time. So I was very fortunate. I had somebody like Manish who could guide me, when is the right time. And mm. but I kept that in mind that dilute as little as late, use debt uh, as much as possible, and only when all that has been exhausted and when you are at the right time. So when we were about a. Uh, 27 crore revenue and with a, you know, healthy profitability, Hmm. that's when um, Manish said, now you go and raise capital. And then at that time, did you have to present to a
0: lot of venture capitalists? How how was that process? Talk us through that journey.
1: So the first thing was we had to find somebody who could represent our uh, interest. Mm -hmm. So we met multiple people, but many things in my life have happened uh, because of good luck. So one of our patients, who's now also a dear friend, his name is also Manish. Mm-hmm. Second Manish. He told me, he had raised capital just six months before that. Mm. And he and his wife used to come for tests and I became you know, friendly with them uh, because I would discuss the reports with them. So Manish told me, the second Manish told me, if you ever want to raise capital, no, you tell me, I've got the right investment banker for you. Because mm. he had worked with Navroz." And then he introduced me to Navroz.
2: Mm.
1: My father and I met Navroz. It was like love at first sight. We said we had met many people, but we just, just liked the way he was. And he had never done any work in healthcare. He said, let me first work with you for about six, eight months to understand diagnostics, understand suburban, understand your aspirations. And I'm not going to you know charge anything. But mm. let me just understand. So he and his team worked with us for about seven, eight months. When they had the thesis ready, then they said, okay, fine. Now let's build an IM and let's go out into the market and see what's available. Mm. And through Navroz and I got introduced to VCs and P's, and uh, I didn't know any of these words at that time. Navroz just said, these two people will come. You have to just talk about your story. Mm. That's it. Navroz decided, you know, what should be the valuation? Who should we meet? Everything is decided by Navroz. Sequoia Capital happened to be one of those groups Sequoia had just exited their stake from Dr. Lal Path Labs at that time. They were looking for uh, the next, uh, you know, opportunity in diagnostics. They liked us. We really liked them. And then I told uh, Anavroz, I said, I mean, valuation is one thing, but I like these people.
0: What did you like about uh, them? Because I think a lot of founders will find this very useful. That how do, because I think in a sense, you know, as founders, we feel that we are raising capital. But we are also giving equity to somebody, right? right? Bringing somebody into the fold of the company, right? Uh, I think founders also need to evaluate the investors that they bring on. Yep, yep, I, sure. I think you did that really well. Wh- how? What were your metrics? What were the things? So that honestly,
1: you did? at that time, something it was pure gut feel. Sure. Um, there was another VC fund from Hyderabad that was also. I really liked the founders, mm. but I think then we, when we chose, we decided that. Mm. And Anju, you know, my wife, who's a co-founder. But she and I, you know, spoke about it and both of us felt my father was part, he was chairman at Suburban at that time. So mm. three of us discussed and we felt, I think, you know, so I think one of the things was that they already knew the diagnostics industry. They had already done work with with, with Dr. Lal Path Labs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they knew about it. Second was they were also very clear that they had learned what to do and what not to do. Mm. One of the things what not to do was that don't become a pan-India player. First, grow locally and create... Your presence in the West mm. become a strong regional player first, mm-hmm. and I think over a period of time they were, they also had enough faith in Anju and me that this capital is not going to get misused. Mm. So they never asked us ever uh, why are you using this, what are you using it for, uh, you know, who do you want to hire? They were always supportive. They said, "Hey nee, Sanjay, you please." Do whatever you think you think is right for the business mm. so they were very encouraging very supportive they helped us create uh, governance mechanisms um, you know reviews mm. uh, MIS uh, so you know we learned a lot of those things yeah. uh, they had support in HR they had support in IT so where we would lean to them for those kind of supports as well so it was not just capital but also you know governance Also, other functional support that we could get from. And
0: would you ever have had this kind of situation where there's a difference of a viewpoint and both well meaning on the way the business should be guided, right? Or the direction that the business should go in, or at the speed at which the business should uh, grow at? Because this with shareholders, because every fund has a life fund uh, tenure, you have to deliver an exit to them. So they have that pressure on them. How
1: did that uh, dynamic work out? So that's a that's a learning that I want to share. Mm. The first point is nobody knows your business better than you. Mm. Nobody. No fund. Uh, no external investor. Nobody knows your business better than you. I think we sometimes give a little more credit than we need to to others around us. I think that was one mistake that I made. That I I felt that perhaps you know people advising no better than me because we had run a very uh, you know, tight ship. The reason somebody wanted to invest in us because we were growing and we were profitable, mm. both mm. growing and profitable. Mm. So what happened was that we sacrificed profitability for growth in the early days. Mm. We grew very rapidly. Mm. We didn't have the right team. We didn't have the right SOPs. Uh, we didn't have the right governance mechanisms. So we suffered through that period and that perhaps was a big learning for me that should we sacrifice one for the other Mm -hmm. and i think bottom line is cash flow Mm -hmm. bottom line is free cash flow uh, or profitability and that's what we are seeing even today that you can show growth but if you don't show any profitability or at least any line to profitability i mean eventually people will you know tune off yeah uh and then we went through that J curve or U curve, as I call it, from being highly profitable, we, you know, lost our profitability. And then sort of I stepped back and I decided that let me go back to running the company the way I used to earlier. Mm. And then we, you know, sort of looked at costs, became a little more judicious in in expansion and f- and Slowly got back our profitability where it needed to be.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing is like every founder goes through their own journey too, right? This J curve. Yeah. And I guess life is a series of J curves, right? You get to a certain point, then again you uh want to reinvent, and that's when again you have to go through a new one. Right. Uh Doc, I think one interesting point here is this whole shift that you made, right? As a as a professional doctor. Doctors have this uh, option of either running a practice or running a business and institution. Right? right. And there are great doctors who are running great practices, but it's centered around them. Uh, and then there are some who migrate to setting up it as an institution, right? which you ended up doing. What was the point at which you said that I want to move away from suburban being a practice to being an institution? And
1: what does it take for doctors to do that? I think again, like I said, luck sometimes I could have chosen to be a surgeon because I was very good in surgery during my MBBS days. Mm -hmm. And my first choice as specialization was surgery. Uh, But somehow, you know, I didn't get the unit or the mentor of my choice. Uh, So then I said, let me do radiology. I did not get MD at that time. I got DMRD, which could have been converted to DNB. I did not think it through. And then I got MD in pathology. So all my friends said, you're getting MD in pathology? Yeah, take it. Yeah, It's a good thing. So maybe because I took MD in pathology and pathology is one of those branches of medicine, which can allow you to do what I did, Mm. where you can institutionalize practice. Mm. Although surgeons have also done it. Mm. uh, But I think it's probably a little easier. I was very attached to this doctor-patient interaction.
2: Mm.
1: But I was also equally attached to sitting behind my microscope and looking at the slides.
2: Mm.
1: That for me was my first love. That is what I was trained to do. I was good at that. So my father and one patient told me that if you really want to build this as an enterprise, move outside that comfort zone behind the microscope. Mm. So come from that side of the microscope to this side of the microscope create a process to put people behind the microscope so that you can build many more microscopes yeah. and many more people. And I think that was an insight which I got from people wiser than me, my father being one of them and one of the patients was there. Yeah, And they told me that, move outside your comfort zone. It took me one year to give up my comfort behind the microscope, hire a pathologist, train that pathologist, let that pathologist start reporting on her own. Mm. I would cross check everything for one year. Mm. Of course, since then, you know, we've built SO- SOPs and processes where now today we have, you know, between Ad close to 50 full time pathologists and Dr. Lal close to 300 full time pathologists. Mm. Dr. Lal also started off being a pathologist himself. So I think maybe uh, in this area of pathology, you can, it allows you to institutionalize practice. I think the Seed was sown right in the beginning when Anju and I decided we will call it Suburban Diagnostics. That it will not be related to Anju and me, but something bigger than both of us. It didn't carry your name. Yes. Yeah.
0: So that's that's interesting. One thing I struggle with and maybe a lot of us do in the regular drill of our life, especially as a founder entrepreneur, when you're busy, there's so many demands on your time and then you have to give time to family, etc. Some of these relationships do require you to invest time and effort into it. How did how did you manage that balance? Because that's really, for me, like I do see the value even in, and I'm not talking about commercial value, but even otherwise there is value in relationships, like having somebody to talk to, a different point of view, it can enrich you. But how did you make the time and
1: be able to carve out the effort for this? Uh, that's a great question, Sandeep. Uh- and I tell people this, you know, um, that my role in suburban diagnostics gave me a vantage point mm-hmm. where on one side you have the patient population,
2: mm.
1: on the other side you have the medical population. Mm. And diagnostics in a way is a conduit that anybody, you know, many people need to use diagnostics mm. both ways. Mm. So patients need to use diagnostics, doctors also need to use diagnostics. Yeah. So I became a conduit from patients to doctors and doctors to patients. Mm. So many times patients would come and get the test done and then ask me,
2: Mm.
1: what do I do with this report? Mm. Who is the doctor that I can see? Mm. You know, this doctor recommended this. Because I was always accessible to interacting with patients. Mm. I always felt that we are not giving just a report or a piece of paper. Mm. We are giving insights which are going to help mainly the doctor treat the patient better. Hmm. So if I am able to add a little flavor to the report, Hmm. which is beyond just black and white, Hmm. then I think that's what started with, you know, my interest in diagnostics and how I can go just beyond just giving a piece of paper or Hmm. black and white reports. Hmm. So then I built a relationship with patients and I also built a relationship with doctors. So many times doctors would Ask like a family physician would ask, Sanjay, this patient I've got this report. Who do you think is the right specialist that I should, you know, approach? So gradually, it became a part of my role at Suburban that I would create a channel of direction from patients to doctors and doctors to within doctors. The ultimate was when doctors would tell me that I'm sending this patient to you. These are his symptoms. You decide what tests need to be done. And then you tell me what I should do after the report. That was validation. Mm -hmm. So I think it became naturally for me, Mm -hmm. the two tests of it happened on 24th of March, 2020. Mm -hmm. This is during COVID, (laughs) I guess. First day of a COVID test done by Suburban Diagnostics. Also my birthday, 24th of March, my 54th birthday. I must have received close to 350 calls not to wish me Mm -hmm. but because somehow my number was given as part of the BMC helpline Mm -hmm. for anybody who wanted to do a COVID test. When they enrolled Suburban to be one of the labs to do COVID testing, Mm -hmm. there were only four labs that got approved at the first lot of labs and we were fortunate to be one of them instead of giving our helpline number or our board number they gave my cell number wow so on that birthday of mine i must have got 350 calls asking about how to get a covid test done when i reflect and i think back i said i can't have a better birthday gift than that you know that i was able to help so many people make a difference in their lives So for me, this has become natural. I met somebody yesterday who is a founder of a a mental health company. Their family member is going through a personal health crisis. I said, forget that. Tell me how I can help your family Mm. member first. We'll get to the other part afterwards. Mm. So it's become natural for me that, you know, how can I help? Because healthcare is such a black box. Yeah, You know, you don't know what's happening inside. Yeah. If I can demystify that and if I can channelize the conduit from A to B and B to A, you know, I that's, just feel I'm just adding value in some way. So dog
0: on one hand, there is this whole social aspect to the work that pathologists uh, do. But at the same time, you also had the pressure of running a business, right? And it has to be profitable, We have to make sure that we are delivering value and yet extracting a value. At any points of time, was there a conflict uh, or something that you had to manage as an entrepreneur running in this particular segment?
1: So two, three questions that you've asked in this, but let me answer what comes straight to mind is conflict. Hmm. Never. Hmm. Never. Uh, I don't think I've ever even thought for a millisecond. Hmm. cut corners uh, first is do right by the patient Mm. nothing else matters Mm. there must be so many times where i was not sure about there was one Mm. hepatitis c test Mm. we had some problem with the kit Mm. we were looking at the results and you know i was not really 100 percent certain Every patient who did the test on that day with that kit, we called them back and told them that we have a doubt with this kit. Please come back and we would like to retest. Maybe the final result was not very different than the initial result, but I was not convinced that I'm doing something, you know, I don't want to take a chance because it's somebody's life. Mm. So there have been numerous instances where, you know, we don't bother to think twice if I have to call the patient back. I want to recheck your sample. I want to do it again. I want to you know, do something extra. Nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do right by the patient is the bottom line. No compromise on that. Whatever it takes. No cost is enough to make sure that the patient has taken care of well.
0: And that in the long
1: run would have
0: translated into returns while you may not have thought about The returns as an aspect of it. But this
1: is a trust-based thing. I was going to say, finally, it's the trust. Hmm. Doctors trust you. Patients trust you. That this lab will ensure that they don't miss out on anything. They do right by the patient.
2: Hmm.
1: I'll give you an example. We, you know, urine culture test is a very common test done, especially for women, because women are prone to urine infections. Hmm. So we realize that there is a lot of data that can be used. Mm. So we did an analysis of about 50,000 cultures. Mm. So we culled out data from the urine cultures and we gave it back to doctors. Mm. There was an effort and a cost from our side.
2: Mm.
1: But what happened was it allowed the doctors to actually treat patients better. Mm. So you have an infection and you are giving an antibiotic. You don't have time to wait for a report. So we tell we told them that which antibiotic is working and which is not working in your backyard. Oh. So if you have to prescribe empirically, mm. prescribe this antibiotic, this is more likely to work than the other. No real benefit to us, but we use data which we could help the doctors. So that built a relationship. Every doctor said, we don't get local data, we get international data. Local data is not available. Mm. And that started our journey into data analytics and how we could give data back to doctors and to patients so and engage with them in a more meaningful manner. Yeah, there, I think that
0: that that's the amazing part of this whole thing that there is so many impact, so much impact that you could do with people's lives. But I think there is this uh, almost like this journey that you can visualize where you were a domain expert, uh, started running a team, and therefore started building culture. Uh, and I'll go deeper into that, into how you uh, lived that culture yourself, and then became a capital allocator. And it's almost like this classic journey of a domain expert becoming a founder ceo which is very visible what were the like the cultural aspects of building suburban like at which point uh, did you decide that this is the kind of people that we want to bring on and what like were you doing to show them that how to live the life at suburban
1: so one core value that we eventually articulated and when I write my book, that's going to be the title of my book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called Exceed the Brief. And how I explain that is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little bit extra. Yeah. So in everything that you do, can you exceed the brief? Can you do a little bit more than what is required to create that differentiator? Mm-hmm. So for me, everything was around customer centricity and giving that customer that experience. Because you have to realize in healthcare, nobody comes to you because they want to come to you. Yeah. Everybody comes to you because they have to come to you. Mm. There is a negative sentiment which is pushing people to use healthcare.
2: Mm.
1: First is acknowledging that. That I know why you're here. 50% of the anxiety of the patient goes away right then and there. That they know why I'm here. And then you take that little bit extra effort to make it so that tomorrow if they you know, need to, it becomes they want to come to us rather than they have to come to us. And that is what sort of was the genesis of everything that we did at Suburban. Mm -hmm. And make sure what's good for your family, then only it is good for the patient. If it is not good for your family, it's not good for the patient. If the bathroom cannot be used by your family member, it cannot be used by the patient. If the bed on which the patient lies is not hygienic enough for your mother, it's not good enough for the patient. If you are collecting blood, make sure that your mother enjoys that you know the needle as much as they know. On, then only will the, so do do best by the patient, and do everything that is required. And the other element was strive towards zero error, because decisions are made. Seventy percent of decisions in healthcare are made out of diagnostic testing. Mm-hmm. So doctors rely on the reports that we give. So make sure quality is not compromised so finally there were two aspects to it quality and care so what became precision and care mm. that is what we stood for finally over the years is that make sure you give precise reports and make sure you give a caring service so that people you know uh, don't feel intimidated by the, the environment so the extra was the experience in a sense like absolutely. The, that the customer absolutely everybody paying. does testing mm how do you differentiate yourself from anybody else yeah consistency of quality yeah. and consistency of experience yeah,
0: that's an amazing insight because uh, you know while you are really good at what you do what actually put you over the line was this incremental investment in experience because it's not it's not that this is just a good to have you must have had to put money behind improving the experience oh yes absolutely it's just not like a good thing to say but you have to actually put capital to ensure that that
1: experience is really good small example i would always use the bathroom that the patients used Hmm. so it was a testing for me Hmm. now i hired early on one guy after every patient would come out this guy had to clean the bathroom Hmm. Yeah, and so make sure before the next patient goes in, the bathroom is clean. Hiring that person was a cost. Yeah, but at least I was con- confident and comfortable that no patient had to use a unhygienic bathroom. I can see so many parallels
0: in health and wealth management. That you know, as you're talking uh, through this, uh, doc. At one point, then you you know you had the best business opportunity with COVID emerging. It was a hard time, obviously. COVID was terrible for the time that it happened and people that it impacted. But for Suburban, it was a great explosion of business in many ways. And at that point, you decided to sort of allow the business to be now taken over by Dr. Lal Path Labs. Uh, What was the thought process behind it? Uh, And how did you deal with this whole sense of
1: letting your baby go into the world in a sense? I think the first uh, first obligation that I had was to Sequoia. Mm. Sequoia had been a very patient partner. And you just mentioned earlier that every fund has a lifeline, mm. lifetime. Mm. Uh, so they were very patient with me. So How were, long had
0: it been since they were around?
1: So they invested in uh, October, November of 2012. So it's already nine, eight, nine years. And they exited in November 21. Mm. So nine years. Mm. Which is fairly long for any private equity fund. Yeah, But they were very patient with me. So one was my obligation that whenever you borrow money from somebody, please make sure you give it back to them also. Mm. I think the second was uh, the opportunity to maybe sign off on a high. You know, you when you retire, perhaps you you say that, you know, I don't want to end up on a losing streak and then retire.
2: Mm.
1: So that was the other thought. I think the other, the third thought was for the almost 30 years that Anju and I ran Suburban. I was always switched on. I could never switch off. Mm. It was just uh, all consuming 24 by 7 uh, passion. Uh, you know, I was just completely consumed with it. Maybe I think, uh, you know, it definitely had an impact on my personal life. Mm. Uh everybody at home knew that in my top 10 priorities they didn't stand anywhere suburban was in the top 10 they only fought for what is 11 and 12 yeah so you know, i was like i said constantly switched on so i thought maybe this is another opportunity to uh, look at you know life 2.0 mm. uh, also a close friend uh, you know told me that do you think healthcare or diagnostics will remain the same for the next 30 years? And both your children are directly or indirectly in healthcare. Maybe you can create a new opportunity for them, which is more futuristic and something that they can, you know, take on. Hmm. I knew one of my daughters was definitely not going to be part of the business. Hmm. The other one was still studying uh, and still building her own life. Hmm. So I also felt there should be no pressure or obligation for them to have to take this up, even if they didn't want to. I think there were a multiple of reasons that, you know, made me take this decision. But till date, I question myself. Mm. Was it the right decision? Uh, Did I do the right thing? Mm. Uh, You know, it's like, as you said, letting go of a child. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I still question myself. How did life
0: change with all of that wealth coming in into... And suddenly you're dealing with this huge bank balance <laughs> uh you know thinking about how to grow this money what was going on at that point again
1: um i've been very fortunate uh, my largest paycheck before starting suburban was five thousand seven hundred rupees, rupees uh, which was as a lecturer at jj hospital yeah that's the largest paycheck i've ever caught uh, um Money has never been a driver or an objective. Mm. It's an outcome for me. Uh, I've always believed in doing good things. Good work, helping people, ensuring they do get better and continue to focus on your own strengths. I think Anju has been extremely supportive from day one. Whenever I've needed something as an investment for Suburban or otherwise, she's managed to make it happen for me. So she's always looked into the finance side of things, and as you know, I have never had to really worry about it. So, and you know, I've always had family support. Uh, my parents played a big role in initial days. Uh, continue to play support. My father is continue to be. You know, he he is the wind beneath our wing, so to say. Uh, so I think great family support, great environment. So, you know, i never had to really think about money as a, you know, that oh, will I need to make ends meet in that sense. So from that point of view, nothing has changed. I think uh, money is an opportunity to express yourself and do things in a bigger way perhaps. Uh, and that's why whatever is the well that we created is being managed by Anju and my sister who's the CEO of the family office because they understand this better. I don't look into this. They manage uh, the investment policy. They manage you know, where to invest, how to invest, but I'm learning this now. So I'm spending a lot more time
2: mm-hmm.
1: meeting people, understanding, you know, what does it mean to invest? A friend of mine told me that if you get hooked on to making money and multiplying money and making money work for you, there is no better kick. I haven't reached that stage yet. Yeah. I think I'm, uh, it's, uh, like I said, money is an outcome. Yeah. Uh, and I'm meeting so many wonderful people, you know, who have made tons of money, but are also doing great level of work. And I think that's the motivation for me that how do you channelize this into doing something bigger and better? And then within the family office, we have three terms. So Shubhan Ventures, that's the family office, stands for invest, grow, create. Okay. So Anju is the invest. Mm-hmm. Seema, my sister, is the grow. And I am the one who's looking to create something. Oh, So I'm still focused on, because I've always been an entrepreneur at heart and building something. I'm still doing that even now. And one
0: thing that I can say with absolute clarity now is that the moment the money hits the account, the excitement is over for folks like yourselves,
1: because they want to now think about creating the next big thing. So I'll just interrupt you here. I recently gave a talk and I was very excited. I got my first opportunity to speak at SPGEN, Management Institute. Mm. And I said the same thing. I said, money does not bring happiness. Yeah. So, you know, when all this happened, everybody said, hey, life is done. You're set. Yeah. when you lose that core, Mm. which was suburban for me, Mm. money can't fill that core. Yeah. People said, you know, you've got so many hobbies, so many passions, you know, let that be the one. I said, all that is peripheral,
2: yeah.
1: which was around a very solid core.
2: Mm.
1: Peripherals can never become core. Yeah. So I'm in pursuit of still rebuilding, recreating a fresh core. Yeah. That is what is going to give me happiness. And Navroz is helping me. He says, Sanjay, I know you very well. Until you roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty, even if it is a small venture, nothing will ever give you as much satisfaction as that. Yeah. So for me, building, adding value, doing things is far more enjoyable. You know, It's important to have money. And maybe people will say that this is very hypocritical. Because you have the money, you can say all these things. But if people have known me, known me for the last 30 years, mm. nothing has changed in the way I live today. Mm. Nothing. And uh,
0: let's let's go into that because I know you as a very like a man of experiences, right? You're there is a certificate here of the Arctic where you're you're driven there. Uh, You're a DJ. You've done all of those activities. Like how? First of all, how did you manage to do it with running an enterprise like Suburban Number One? And how has that come together now in the new role that you have? Are you able to give it more time? Are you actually enjoying that more? So,
1: you know, I have a business card and I love carrying business cards unlike most people. Olympics. I don't have one. Yeah, yeah. So everything is digital now. But I say life is two sides of a business card. Mm. There is your professional side. But on the flip side, I have my personal side. Mm. So I'm very much, you know, I bear my heart and I mm. sort of, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so to say. Yeah. So on my flip side, I have what makes me as an individual. So healthcare will always be a big part of me. Healthcare and entrepreneurship will always be a big part of me. Mm. So that is there. But other interests, like I love to travel Mm. and I love to take photographs. I'm a photographer. Mm. So my trip to Antarctica was largely a photography trip. Mm. And uh, because it was a long, arduous travel, Anju decided not to come. So it was just me and my camera for almost three weeks. Mm. I've taken some brilliant photographs, managed to have a photography exhibition. Again, that exhibition was more... Uh, To just showcase what I've done. Proceeds of that exhibition went to charity. Mm. Not for any commercial gain. Mm. So continue to build my skills as a photographer. I love music. I curate a playlist every Sunday that I send out to friends and family. Um, I'm hoping that I'll become a more active DJ. So when Ankita, my older daughter, got married, I was a surprise DJ for the first night. Uh, So I'm looking forward to becoming a better DJ. Uh, sports is a big passion with me. So, whenever we travel, we try and combine it with a sporting event. So Recently, we traveled to London. We got a chance to watch Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So, that was a great experience. We got to watch a Coldplay concert. So, it's these experiences that, you know, perhaps I'm... But Anju and I have seen so many concerts. We have been to a U2 concert multiple times. We've seen practically every Indian Bollywood singer live. So, we enjoy those things. So, I think... I think maybe I'm able to experience it a little more now, but I'm still, that will still remain peripheral, never become, I'm still looking for my new core. That's interesting. Doc, I think on this whole, like what's
0: happening in the healthcare ecosystem, right? Technology is likely going to play a much bigger role than it ever has. Right. Right. What does it mean for somebody wanting to build a career in healthcare? and, and I know that there is one aspect of that human care that only an individual person can deliver to the patient. But then there are so many other opportunities which potentially will get taken away by technology, or at least that's the going in thinking
1: that no, it won't have. happen like that. In healthcare, it won't happen. And I think the first aspect that people need to be maybe realistic about is that technology is not here to replace you. Mm. Technology is here to augment you. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And let me give you a simple example. When we started suburban diagnostics, we had a a cell counter. A cell counter is where you do a CBC test. Mm -hmm. Your hemoglobin count, WBC count, Mm -hmm. platelet count, all those things. So you would put in a sample and the machine would give out those results. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Then you would take that sample, you would put it onto a slide and you would see it under the microscope.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So then... Every patient, I would, you know, there'll be 10 patients, I would see 10 slides. Today at Suburban Diagnostics, maybe on a busy day, we could do 2000 CBCs. Mm. Physically impossible to see every slide Mm. in that manner. So today the technology has done in such a way that the machines that were only giving basic results, today are able to flag what is normal and what is abnormal. In what you will see under the microscope Mm -hmm. so we have built that level of confidence that whatever is clearly normal Mm -hmm. we don't need to see it Mm -hmm. so that we are able to focus more on what is genuinely abnormal where our expertise will come in hand so we are not wasting our time in looking at things which technology can help filter Mm -hmm. but is also giving us the opportunity of putting more time where our human attention needs to be given so that is the proper use of technology,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not that technology is taking away. So I can now, instead of doing 20 CBCs, I can do 2000 CBCs without compromising on the quality and still being able to see those 20 slides or 30 slides or 50 slides that need my attention.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is how technology is actually going to augment healthcare and not take away from what we want to do in healthcare.
0: And probably it will get better for the end patient because what it seems like is that with so much data available, the analytics and pathology labs can derive on top of it and yeah. therefore be able to preempt absolutely uh, uh, some of these. I gave you
1: that example of urine culture that we yes. did. Just think about it that you are a patient and mm. I have your longitudinal data. Mm. I can send you customized data uh, triggers Mm. only for you which is not relevant to anybody else that Sandeep based on your last 12 months of tests Mm. you know we are finding this trending this way that trending this way Uh, you know you have not done this test for the last you know maybe 24 months Mm -hmm. maybe it's time for you to come and do this so we're trying to uh, give more personalized Mm. uh, individualized triggers which are more meaningful to you than to generally say, get your sugar checked. You may not have diabetes. Mm. You may not even be pre-diabetic. But you may have some other issue which is more relevant to you. So using data analytics, we are able to personalize and individualize the communication, make it more relevant, more meaningful.
0: And how do doctors keep up with this? Because they are running a practice, they are handling patients day to day. How do they keep themselves aware of all of these changes that are happening and potentially how AI will affect or augment them? Uh, is there, is there any way that they can stay
1: abreast? So again, coming back to rel- two relationships, there are multiple relationships that work when you're in a diagnostic lab. Hmm. One is relationship with your staff. Hmm. Second relationship with your patients, third relationship with your doctors. Fourth, which is often not looked at is relationship with your channel partners or vendors as we call. Two words that I don't like is employee Mm. and vendors. So team member and channel partners. Mm. I think a large part of my success is due to the relationships I have been able to maintain with my channel partners who then become, uh, you know, platforms or channels for you to get exposed to something new Mm. so when we started suburban we had very rudimentary but automated equipments few years down the line one of the channel partners came and showed me this futuristic looking technology i said jignesh yeah this is way beyond what i can even think of he's saying nay nay doctor you have to see it this is good for you we started looking at it. Today, we are one of the largest users of that technology in suburban. Mm-hmm. So, if you are, if you maintain that relationship, if you are o- open to listening to people, mm-hmm. and if you give them that respect, uh, you know, they will, they will be the ones to, you know, expose you to things which you may not. So, that is one. Second is peer to peer learning. Mm-hmm. Very important that I read something yesterday. Only somebody was saying that knowledge if not used and not shared, is wasted.
2: Mm.
1: If you have some knowledge, share you, it. You can't hold it. Share it. Hold yeah. it, yes. Yeah. The more you share it, the sharper it gets. Yeah. So, if, you know, you get that peer-to-peer learning. And of course, you know, uh, if you do good work and you know you become uh, recognized, then you get a chance to travel for conferences. Mm. Uh, you know, you meet interesting people. You listen to, you know, you uh, know, and you continue to read. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to keep yourself updated. Yeah. So I think these are multiple ways in which you keep yourself moving in the right direction. No, I uh, this again I can
0: relate with a lot because uh, you know I think in a sense that the industry where we come from, and you alluded to that, is kind of adversarial. Uh, but when it comes to being a founder, there are so many learnings that you can have from other founders, and especially in the technology ecosystem there is this overall sense of sharing that we are all building something together. So sometimes founders candidly talk about the problems that they are facing. And then for us, it's a sort of a thing that we know that this is probably going to come to us a few years down the line where somebody who is many years ahead of us talking about that problem, I need to anticipate it and work uh,
1: towards it. So absolutely a big fan of uh, peer-to-peer learning. I'll give you an example of Mm an actual case. Dr. Nilesh Shah, President of Metropolis Labs. Mm -hmm. Metropolis, one of the largest players in the country. And a competitor too. And a competitor. But my relationship with Nilesh is brilliant till today. Mm. We rely on each other. Oh, Nilesh, I'm buying this equipment. Have you used it? Yes. Mm. Uh, He'll give me his input. If Nilesh says something, I don't need to think about it. Mm. Nilesh will call me and say... Doc, I'm looking at this equipment. What is your experience on this? Mm. And he's openly spoken about it. If Dr. Aurora has validated the equipment, I don't even need to ask about it. Mm. So many such experiences I have. Uh, There's Dr. Jariwala in Borivli. Mm. Brilliant pathologist, brilliant person. People who... So I've never been shy of putting my hand up and saying, I need your help.
2: Mm.
1: I think if you are able to express your vulnerability and say, I need your help, People will reciprocate and do the same and that when you don't have a, a wall <laughs> hmm. and there is no wall you can yeah. easily build communication which, which it becomes a two-way street yeah absolutely so doc uh, now
0: that you're managing the family office uh, overseeing that you've built a setup around it how often do you actually check the portfolio like do you and what's the thought process behind do you look at the total number or do you refresh it every day, every month? What how, what goes on behind the big numbers that you see on, on the dashboard?
1: So actually, it's just from 1st of June that I have started spending uh, full time at the family office. Mm-hmm. Till end of May, I was had my full time role with Dr. Lal. That's right. Uh, they were very kind to allow me to move out of that, uh, allow me to focus on the family office. So it's been just over two months that I've been actually focused on this. And a lot of that time has been spent in understanding mm. and meeting and learning like i said my meeting with Weber is still pending yeah so i'm making notes i'm learning i think as a as a group we do our monthly review mm-hmm. seema anju and i we also do a review with the uh, managers that we work with mm. uh, so i've had some individual meetings and some group meetings
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm still i'm still learning i think uh, whatever are the good practices that i've seen at suburban uh, and at Dr. Lal, I'm trying to see how I can learn and put those good practices into put into place at Shubhan Ventures also. Sure. So it's still work in progress. Uh, but I'm learning that, you know, what should be, how much should be equity? How much should be debt? Uh, you know, what's the taxation on this? What are the alternates? Uh, so, and I'm meeting younger people, you know, who are much sharper and brighter. The more younger people you meet, I think your mind gets stimulated even more. So it's a learning for me i'm still not there uh, but i'm 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 getting there gradually but uh, doc how is the uh, experience
0: of being a few crores up and a few crores down like how do you react to those kind of
1: situations so i think i made it very clear uh, both to the family office as well as to the managers that we work with for me this is a uh, second innings hmm. and uh, i'm looking at it as a 25 year journey and not a 2 year journey hmm. Like in any business, it's never going to be a straight line, right? There will yeah. be ups and downs. Yeah. So I think I'm have, i have, I'm learning to accept that also that even in this trajectory of managing wealth, mm. there will be, you know, some turbulence will be there.
2: Mm.
1: And I feel because I have, you know, run a business that has, already, you know, never been a linear easygoing. Ah. Uh, I think those learnings will help me in being able to navigate some of the ups and downs that, you know, uh, we will... Uh, encounter over a period of time
2: yeah.
1: and I think I must give credit to uh, Seema and Anju as well as the wealth manager that they have uh, built a structure mm. uh, which is fairly I would not say aggressive mm. or conservative but somewhere in between where you know they have tried to minimize this turbulence so that our initial experience mm. is not bad
2: Yeah,
1: it yeah. may not be the best but it's also not detrimental mm-hmm. so that we don't get overawed by the situation that, oh, God, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening. So I think a lot of credit goes to the investment policy that has been made by Seema and Anju and also the advice that we've got mm-hmm. from the wealth managers and being able to give our initial, mm-hmm. you know, one, two years, a fairly smooth run. I think once you get that experience, you, you also get a little better at taking decisions. Though.
0: I guess the learning for all of us talk is that investment management at one level is about return maximization but if that is the only objective then we'll end up getting things wrong because one thing that like to just give you a very simplistic thought around it that we know that in the long term equities is going to be the best asset class but often if we deploy all the capital into equities and the markets fall i will exit the portfolio at the worst time possible right right and then the compounding will get broken and then the outcome will remain a pipe dream correct so i think some of it is like real psychological the ability to understand and empathize with what the investor is going through in the journey that's and which is i like keep coming back to this sense that it's very familiar very similar
1: to how a doctor would probably go about it right because so my my thesis is that in 25 years how many doubling cycles i can have yeah that is my broad Strategy, if I can call it that. Yeah, yeah. So it's not about looking on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. But in 25 years, how many doubling cycles can I have?
2: Yeah.
1: Can I have four? Can I have five? And what will it take to have, you know, whether it's four or five or three, what goes into creating these doubling cycles?
2: Yeah,
0: I think that's a fantastic way of thinking about it. Because, you know, if you double your money every five years, your money is growing two to the power five uh, in this uh, time frame, right? right? Which is
1: almost what? 32 times uh, or more. So so I'm just simplifying it. I know I can't do the math the way you can, but I'm just looking at it that, that what is my doubling cycle? Yeah. I know it is going to be between somewhere between five and 10 years. Yeah. Now, can I, how can I do, what can I do to bring it closer to five? Yeah. Uh, can it be six? Can it be seven? I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm still learning that. And I think that's my thesis today. Yeah. That if I start with 10, where will I be in
0: 25 years?
2: Yeah,
0: I, I wish more people would think like that because that goes to long term and it goes to compounding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, That's interesting. Uh, Doc, India is one of the fastest growing large economies today. The per capita income is rising and one of the easiest play. I mean, things to think about is the fact that healthcare in India will expand and grow, right? If somebody is a professional today aspiring to get into this ecosystem, what are the big opportunities, the top two or three things that they should do or the segments that they should think about entering?
1: So I think uh, India, there's a huge demand supply gap, Mm. you know, uh, majority of the quality healthcare is in urban areas where yeah. majority of the consumers are in the rural yeah so it's a huge skew towards the urban and less towards the rural so i think one is equitable distribution of or giving better access mm. so if there are any models any uh, channels that can give better access to healthcare I think mm-hmm. technology plays a big role there, mm-hmm. and we saw that in COVID. Of course, it's tapered off to a large extent. But mm-hmm. I think creating models that can take healthcare uh, to the people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where point of care testing, for example, mm-hmm. uh, a point or primary healthcare mm-hmm. combined with point of care testing. Because I'm diagnostic, so I'm just mm-hmm. maybe leaning more towards that. But mm-hmm. the primarily talking about taking healthcare to the people. So building better access. Sure. Second is affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, India still not is crossly under penetrated in terms of health insurance mm. and majority whole, I would say 80% of healthcare expenses are out of pocket. Mm. So how do you make healthcare good quality and yet affordable? So I think affordability, finding mechanisms to make healthcare more affordable. So mm. this whole concept of generic drugs, mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, how do you make them equitable with whatever is branded? Mm. Uh, that could be you know another area which we can look at how do you create more affordability Mm. Uh, third is of course uh, what does the future of healthcare look like so i think if i look at my own journey uh, my thesis also was on cancer Mm. my daughter's thesis was also cancer because she's part of tata cancer hospital Mm. i did a very basic you know looking at slides and staining it Mm. she's doing digital pathology Mm. Uh, um So, how can you leverage technology, the power of digital uh, genomics, molecular diagnostics? We used to classify tumors in a particular way. Mm. Today, tumors are classified based on their molecular configuration or makeup, the molecular biomarkers. Mm. So, I think looking at genomics, molecular diagnostics, because of COVID, everybody knows what is RT-PCR. Yeah. Now, how do you leverage the power of RT-PCR in every field of healthcare? Yeah. So I think uh, access, affordability, technology, last but not the least is data. There's so much. India is a powerhouse of health data. Yeah. How do you make that data on a common platform and then cull it out? Mm. The kind of insights that we got during COVID helped us manage COVID better. Now, if you use that same thesis on using healthcare data across the country, mm. I think people are doing the digi lockers, yes. uh, health lockers. You know, this whole Ayushman Bharat, uh, National Digital Health Mission, uh, creating a UID, uh, you know, for every individual, health ID for every individual. All this is in that direction Mm. that we make healthcare data so strong. I feel, my gut feel is health data will become one of the strengths of India because of the uh, width and depth of each type of medical condition. Yeah you know, culling out health data will become a big opportunity. And
0: I suspect with rising per capita income, the spending on preventive healthcare versus curative. Yes. I think is... uh... I think,
1: uh, yeah, I missed that. So, uh, you know, throughout the entire 30 years of suburban, we've always anchored preventive healthcare to a large extent. Mm. I think COVID accelerated that, you know, movement that uh, majority of the people that we encounter are well. Mm. Less than 10% of the people, of the population is ill. Mm. Yet our entire healthcare ecosystem addresses only that 10%. Mm. Does not address the 90%. So how do we look at the wellness and helping people remain healthy? Yeah, I think that's a big opportunity. Yeah. No exciting times, uh,
0: doctor. Oh, yes. Uh, doctor, for me, the biggest takeaway today was that you're a man with a wealth of relationships. I think if uh, there'll be a term to describe you... It would be that uh, you build this virtuous cycle around relationships. And I think that's uh, uh, something for all of us to learn from. Uh, And I think the other thing I take away is there's no excuse not to have relationships. Somebody as busy as you, somebody who's as occupied running a business, having a family can invest into relationships. I'm sure all of us can. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sandeep. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you.